Welcome to Because and Effect, a podcast from the Winnipeg Foundation, where we talk to people about the causes they care about and the effect that it has on their lives. My name is Nolan Bicknell. Mandela Couette advocates for equity and equality and has nearly his entire life. He participated in the Winnipeg Foundation's Fast Pitch earlier this year, spoke at the Black Lives Matter rally earlier this month, and recently started his own nonprofit for at-risk newcomer youth. So, he's a busy guy. There are people that benefit from this injustice that want the system to remain the same. They say, yes, we hear you, but really, you got to go through the hoops and everything. And that's where we need the endurance. We need mm. people who are going to be part of the system, who are never going to forget why this injustice happened, and who are going to dedicate their positions, their role, their life calling to changing that. I sat down with Mandela on video chat to talk about Black Lives Matter, his lifetime dedication to advocacy and equity, and what our communities need to learn and apply to make real change. Before we get started, just due to a couple internet connections issues, there was some moments in the interview where our connection kicks in and out, and I apologize in advance, but please enjoy my conversation with Mandela Couette. Mandela Couette, welcome to the Because and Effect podcast. I've wanted to talk to you for so long. Thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you, Nolan, for uh, having me. It's an honor to be part of this. Uh, I've heard so many good things about your podcast, and I'm <laughs> so stoked to that to be a part of this. Oh, I man. That. Well, I, I fired off the text to you. I mean, let's give some 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 history. I met you through Fast Pitch at the Winnipeg Foundation. You were representing um, ACOMI, which is the African Communities of Manitoba Incorporated. You so 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 tell maybe let's let's start there. What was your time as the acting executive director there? I mean, now you're just a community organizer and advocate. You have your own, um, you you have your own nonprofit that you've started. But bring back it up to Acomi and your time there, and then we'll talk about Fast Pitch and we'll just get to know you a little bit. So, what was Acomi like for you? Acomi was awesome. I've been part of Acomi for the past twenty years or so, as long as I've been in Canada. Like I started Acomi as part of my home community, the South Sudanese community, because ACOMI is an umbrella organization for the African community. So my community, the South Sudanese community, was, is still part of that. And I was, uh, you know, I started off as a dancer in the Pokorama. Like, that's how I really got enjoyed. I just went there, hanged out, you know, got to meet my friends, helped out wherever I can. And I stuck around for that, you know, for 20 years or so. And uh, the last three years or so, uh, I, uh, because of the late Mr. Andre, who passed away a couple of years ago, and uh, one of the things that he always used to tell me is like, we need young people like yourself to be involved in the leadership and organization because we're not going to be here forever, you know? And uh, so when after he passed, I, I was, uh, some of my friends asked me like, man, you should really join the board. You know, they might need support from me. And uh, I said, okay, you know what? I thought about it and I submitted my uh, candidacy for like vice president and I was nominated and accepted by the people there. So I was really honored by that. Cool. So I was on a Comey's board for two years, uh, and then we had a change in structure, and uh, the ED over there uh, left, and and, and my, most of my experiences in the nonprofit and set up, and I started off in the nonprofit. And uh, so uh, since I was already on the board and I understood the capacity that we need, uh, they've asked me if they would, if I would like to step in for that uh, acting ED position until we, you know, kind of settle and be stable. And I said, sure, you know, I mean, uh, that's why I'm here. I submitted, uh, I'm committed for the long term. Uh, and then it just happened to be actually the fast pitch, the way that it came, I, I almost did not join that. Uh, and actually it was Frank from Akomi who encouraged me because I was like, man, the deadline is already almost there. And I had so much other things to do and I wasn't really sure about it. 
and he's like no just apply anyway you know I, you know uh, this might be a good opportunity for you to learn a new skills as so i thank cool. frank for that yeah and then yeah. i end up uh, getting through so i was really you guys actually <laughs> accepted me so yeah for sure well you did a great job for people who don't know fast pitch is a is a competition it's kind of like dragon's den or shark tank but it's for charities or nonprofits. so you go up on stage there's hundreds of people in the audience and you pitch your pitch about why your organization is great in three minutes or less so you did a wonderful job you had an amazing pitch what but Aside from the pitch and everything, what was what was the main benefit for you of going through fast pitch? Like, what did you gain from the experience? Uh, well, first thing is the relations that I built uh, with my coaches. You know, my two coaches were really, really, really awesome, and um, they really helped me step out of my shell. You know, and they helped me the techniques of what I need to do and how to to build that. And like, honestly, I think at the beginning, I was like, man, how are we gonna do this? You know, three minutes that <laughs> my done. first meeting, yeah, done. I was like, wow, how are we gonna do this? But I think after like a couple of meetings and, you know, going from right from the beginning, they knew that I was really committed to that. And they, uh, they, or they picked it up too, you know, they were like showing up, we had meetings, different meetings. And uh, that was really good. And then the relationship that I built with others, I, I, a couple of people I knew there, and then uh, I got to know more people. I knew more about the foundation and the work that you're doing and why fast, which is so important and how it's done. And uh, honestly, the biggest thing that I've had is the boost of confidence of that I can go out there and present and actually get it done, you know? And uh, yeah. so that was really huge. And I'm like, man, this set of skills is kind of like memorized and internalized uh, forever now. So Well, Speaking of get out there and get it done on Friday or last Friday, you got to speak at the Black Lives Matter protest with in front of tens, maybe 20. I don't even know how many people were there. It felt like there was 20,000 people there. Tell me about that experience. Like, what was that like? Just get first of all, how did you feel looking out into the sea of thousands of faces that are all there supporting this movement? How did you feel when you're when you're able to talk to them? It was amazing, you know, and I want to thank the Black Lives for Winnipeg uh, organizers, you know, for actually giving me the honor and the platform to be able to share this. Uh, I was really uh, surprised by the amount of people that showed up. Uh, honestly, I was looking and uh, I saw a few people first and then like literally, you know, but because I was like helping with water and all these other things. And before I knew it, there was so many people I couldn't even move like left or right. There was so many people. And I was surprised. I thought maybe there was like a thousand or plus people. I didn't know it was like 15, 20,000 people. But honestly, I, I think at the end when we were leaving, that's when I realized like, wow, there's so much people. But uh, Yeah, once the march started, hey, like once we started moving down Broadway, it was like, holy moly, there was a lot of people here. I didn't think like there was that many people, but uh, I, can, I think in the moment when I was, uh, I guess, speaking to the community or like seeing that, uh, I really understood the the solidarity between mm. everybody because I'm like all these people here are here today for one cause and you know I don't know why they chose to be here today but they showed up you know and to me I was like that's an accomplishment uh, that could never be repeated you know for sure well your words were very inspiring I was like as soon as I saw you up there I was like no way I know that guy so I fired off the text I was like great job man like it was good to see you up there how did you like once you're watching, walking, what was the, some of the feedback from people who were like, hey, man, great, great work. Like, how, what was the vibe when you're walking down Broadway all the way to the Forks there? Uh, uh, the vibe was really great. You know, people were like, wow, uh, thanks for sharing that. I was getting text messages. I didn't, uh, I didn't see it until like a while. And I was there like, wow, thanks for sharing that. That was really inspiring. Um, people were like tagging and already posting. And I just seen that the vibe that people were really had the opportunity to voice 
a lot of their concerns and you know uh, things that they wanted to say for a long time. I think they didn't want they didn't get the opportunity to say that. And just the fact that they were standing beside someone else. The like I've seen people I, I believe from like the Mennonite community. I've seen people from the states, Indigenous brothers and sisters. I've seen a lot of uh, Black community members. You know, so many elders, young children, so many different people, and you know, it's just like uh, it was unbelievable. Like it's how that, many people were coming. It's that solidarity, right? Like that everyone was in it in it for the same reasons. And we're all, but I really want to zone in on what you said when we're talking about it. It, it's, it seems like to me, from the outside looking in, that it's just about not being heard for years like a community hasn't been heard for years right or can you speak to maybe how frustrating it is that you know you have a group of people who are saying hey look we need some help or you know hey look things are a little bit different or hey look and no one's listening it seems like it boils down to just not listening to a group of people for a very long time i i do totally agree it is been a big issue uh because people really uh, i believe that they just react to the moment you know, mm. every time these incidents happens, mm. they they said, yeah, okay, we're listening. We're really sorry. They throw all these, you know, politically correct words or, you know, cautious approaches. And, you know, they let the things die down. And then after, because I, I was just talking to a friend yesterday and I said, look, uh, you know, institutions are strategic and people are more tactical because they are more about the moment. They want to realize, they want to take actions, they want to get things done. But institutions are like, no, if it doesn't fit in our plan, you know, it's kind of not the way... Or if you come and put the pressure on them, uh, well, we'd give the opportunity to listen. We're here, you know, and uh, we will look at how we can best work. We're always here to listen. And that's not a true, you know, because listening is different than actually paying attention and doing mm. things right, you know, because that's the problem right now. A lot of, a lot of listening has been done, but no action has been done. So that's, uh, that's why I believe that what contributed to that, because this is not the first incident that happened. George Floyd is not the first black man to lose his life you know, to police brutality or first black man to lose his life generally to anybody who's racially motivated, you know, killing. No kidding. This yeah. is one of my biggest issue is that, you know, that happens. And uh, even here in Winnipeg, like we had a community member, somebody that I knew who was living mental health that got killed by Winnipeg police. And, you know, and I was just seeing him and his, his children and how they're affected after that. And, and that's somebody who's far removed, doesn't understand that, you know, and I, I another person that I knew, Zunga Bashir, that I, you know, when I was a young person, he was a big brother, and he, he got killed in 2005, and I went for police. So I remember those, because those are people I actually knew, you know, and their life, their family life is shattered forever. But I think the dialogue from that, those discussions, has always kind of been in the moment kind of approach. Mm. There was never anything that came out of it. So I believe that kind of amped up to where everybody was like, okay, now maybe this is my opportunity. And I got to give Winnipeg a big credit, because they came out, they demonstrated to the whole world like why we should do this properly you know and i know there's a lot of people who are anxious thinking these young people you know are going to cause problems and stuff like that but if you think about the organizers who came together less than seven people that mobilized twenty thousand winnipeggers for the same cause peacefully you mm -hmm. know and it's why people should give young people a chance because they are the leaders they you know they always say that yeah you're leaders of the future but they don't actually give you the opportunity to be in that role so i, I commend a lot of them for that very well said. So, I mean, we see some really, we've obviously, the, the whole thing that kind of kicked off this craziness is the George Floyd video. And we're seeing every day now, 
hundreds, if not thousands of incidents in the States, in Canada, all over with people on their phones showing traumatic experiences for people of color, for, for, for everyone on behalf of authorities. Call it what you want. What is your experience like? Like, how does your experience in Winnipeg either is similar or different to some of these crazy videos that we're seeing in the States and some of the videos that have resurfaced from Canada? Like, what has your personal experience been in the last 20 years in, in Winnipeg? Uh, also, mine has been a mix. Uh, so uh, I had personal contact with police. Like I would say, like the first time I came to Canada, my family resided in Central Park neighborhood. And at that time, it was like 1998. It was a pretty bad area, I would say, in terms of like how the city neglected that area and supports it. Or I didn't know this because I was just a little kid playing soccer right. in the park. No <laughs> idea, yeah. you know. Uh, but I think after a while, once I started becoming a teenager and started seeing like how things are, I couldn't like go to the YMCA without like, you know, people like, trying to cause issues and stuff like that. So that was my environment growing up. And the police contacts that I had at those times were like, you know, very not negative, but they would literally drive across the park, you know, race and pull you over and say, you know, a bunch of stuff that were not, you know, healthy and then think that you guys were, you know, up to no good. But when we were just trying to go to the gym and actually to stay away from all those stuff, you know, to go play basketball. That's how I got away with a lot of things is spend time in the gym because I knew if I was out there, things would be happening. So they had no idea that I was trying to go and do something that's keeping me occupied. And, you know, they came to me with this approach and I was like, look, you know, in my mind, I was like, what's wrong with this person? And I'm sure in their mind, they, they thought something different. Mm-hmm. But then uh, as I became more of a community organizer, you know, I, I got more, and I would say, positive experience in terms of like working with police officers because a lot of my work and advocacy was, uh, you know, part of that. And actually, I give credit to the people that became my mentors uh, at that time. And uh, I got involved with this group called Omoja which started by uh, the, the past um, chief of police, Devon Clunas, and he oh, started okay. that when he was actually an inspector. Uh, and so this group was a group of community leaders and community organizers coming together, trying to build relationship between the police and, and the community. So I, I would say at that time, that's when my, my relationship kind of started, because I had started knowing people, police officers that were actually meaning well. But that didn't stop, you know, other times where I got pulled over and, you know, they would say a bunch of stuff and I'm like, Listen, you know, am I doing anything wrong right now? And you're pulling me over for, you know, for no reason. And they would. So I would say I had mix of that. And that's just something that we experience as, as I would say, as a person of color, or like black person. And it's not a good thing, you know. Uh, I got pulled over when my kids were in the car and, you know, and they were saying, you know, things that were not positive. But I'm just like, look, and why would you do that, you know? And like, as everything is proper, you know. So uh, for me, I would say that I'm always cautious now, you know, when a police officer pulls or goes behind or runs your plates. Mm-hmm. It's not the same for, I'm sure, for other people, but for me, it's always a, a top of my mind. Why are they following me and, you know, how will this play out? So uh, yeah. I, I take it very serious. Yeah. Know? My experience, yeah, for sure. My experience is like, there's been a few times in, in life that I've had interactions with cops, but that's it. It's not like a constant every week you're dealing with this just because you're playing soccer in the park or whatever, you know, like it's it's just so much more frequent, it seems, when you're living in a certain part of town or you have a certain skin color or you're, you know, doing certain things, certain activities that 
why does that warrant being asked questions? You know, like you're just a kid playing, right? And and it starts to just wear on you over and over and over. And it's like, geez, like what the heck's going on here? There, This isn't just a isolated incident one or two times, you know? And it might be different if we're actually doing something wrong, but you know, you're, you're just hanging out. So like, I don't know, it's, 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 it's interesting to see now the traumatic experiences people have. Whereas I think a lot of people from my generation and from my, you know, socioeconomic status and from my, you know, experience of the world, we didn't know, like there's so many, but now we know, and now it's time to like, Hey, we got to change this. So what can we do on a community level to change this? Like what, what, what's the next steps to keep the momentum going? So this doesn't fizzle out. And next week we're moved on to something else. Like how do we, how do we progress further and forward in this movement? So that's a really good question. I, you know, I, was, uh, I would say an example of some of the speakers that we're talking about. I mean, people have to do things where the capacity that they're at. Uh, I was talking to a friend yesterday and I said, three reasons why that, that uh, rally was successful. People understood, you know, the vision and why. You know, the second thing is that they understood their role in that, you know, which is mean that there was a clear call of them to come out and support. And then on third, they took action. And by action is that they came to be present and, you know, they chanted, they gave support. So it was very easy for mobilizing people because they understood those three things is, you know, they understand the vision of the people who are calling it, you know, they understood their role in it. And then they, you know, they understood how they can do it. So I say that for anybody in the community who came out on that rally or, you know, slightly considers like they can do something about this. You need to understand why the people were calling for this. And that's the systemic injustice black people are facing or people of colors minorities, indigenous brothers and sisters in Winnipeg here and across the world. That's why, that's the reason, you know, it's because it's not just the police. Police is part of the social institution. It's in schools. It's in, you know, every other area in work and all those things. And those things contribute to that. You know, it's not just the interaction of the, like the police parts of the judicial system. If you look at the judicial system in Canada and the United States, police officers are most of the time get away with that you know, with those things. Any other citizen would be prosecuted to the full extent of the law, you know. So if you look at that, the enforcement, and then you look at the process, the, you know, the criminal process or like the, the justice system, that's part of the system. There's new, you know, there needs process to be changed in there. So in every way, and if somebody who's a teacher and sees things where, you know, and I'll give you an example. I remember when I was in high school, kids were calling me the N-word in the classroom and the teacher didn't say anything, you know, and I'm like, I still remember that distinctively, you know, why that person didn't do it. And those things, when one of the speakers brought up their, their experience and saying that now she's a teacher and this is one of the reasons she's trying to change that, that right away brought me back to my personal experience. And I think like those things stays with people forever, you know. So I'm saying if, if you are in a position where, you know, it doesn't matter what you're doing, you know, like you still have a role and that's a role is you can do something in the role to stand up, to change the system, to advocate, to recommend you know, to be part of this. And then when the mobilization comes on, it actually comes to action and say, you need to put, you know, the pen to the pad. That's when people really need to step in. That's when the institutional changes can happen. So I, I believe that people should just see where they are right now, whatever it is that they're doing in life, where can they help more than just being an ally, you know, because being an ally is one thing and being an actual supporter and, you know, action-oriented person, that's where the difference happens. It's because the system requires action to the process for you know, so it's not going to change all those systems that we're all part of. We're all part of that. We engage in that. So we should do the same thing is engage in a different way 
to be able to change this. That's the only way that's going to happen. I hear that word a lot, ally. And I, I want to be an ally, but I don't want that to just be a, you know, a throwaway word like, oh, I'm an ally. I posted on Twitter today, uh, you know, good luck. So how can, how can, how can someone be an ally and what is some actual, like, what is it? What is a way that the average random person can do more than just say, Hey, I'm an ally. I'm, I'm going to fight this good fight. Like, obviously if you see racial injustice happening, say something, stop it, say, Hey, that's not cool. But like, what can the average person do to be a, a true ally to the cause? Yes. You know, I, I believe that, you know, we are an expert in our own life and the easiest thing to do is be yourself. Mm. You know, that's, I know it's sometimes people think that it's hard, but like you're yourself every day, you know? So I want you to do, I want you to start from a point where you're able to manage that. And that starts with you. So it starts with your own actions and how you interact with others, how you see things in your, around your area. You just need to take one step. You know, if you see something or if you voice something, if something is in your mind, and you need to say it, then you say, you know, and if you think you should do it, then you should do that. And if you don't, that's how I see in those little actions, those personal actions, those personal accountability are going to add up mm. because that's the more you do that. And I'm not asking people to just go out there and like be all about that. No, I'm just saying like when the moment presents itself, you know, that's when you should step up because yeah. you would know why you feel that way and why you should act. And I think that's where people fail most. And there's nothing wrong with failure because failure helps you grow. But if you say one thing and you don't do that, that's when, you know, because it's all about action. So when you engage in that process and you say, okay, right now, maybe I should have said something, you know, then that's when you should go back. There's no too late. You can always go and say something about that, you know, and do something about that. And I, I feel like if all of us in our own positions um, start doing that, they're going to start seeing in other areas where they can do it because if they can do it in their personal life, and they feel comfortable with it, they feel like they've seen that impact, then they're going to get a little bit confident to go outside in their work. Because we all engage in the systems, you know, and we all see these emotions. And the problem is that we all stay quiet and avoid it and not try to deal with it because it makes us so uncomfortable yeah. or you don't want to be outcast in your own circle or whatever the case is. But, you know, if you, one person, doesn't do anything, then why should, you know, the rest of the society do that? And, uh, and that's, why, that's why I used to go back to that rally and say those three things. Yeah. That's why I love the next generation or like, that's why I love young people because it seems like this next generation that's coming, if they see something that's not okay, the last generation used to think, oh, that's not okay. And then they would just walk away from it. Now this generation, if they see something that's not okay, they're like, hey, that's not okay. And people get called out for their BS, you know? And it's pretty inspiring to see when like, whether it's on social media or in person, it's like, hey, bullying is not cool like don't do that you can't say that like people are correcting the behaviors that should have been corrected out of our society years ago but i feel like the next generation has finally got the got the gumption to to do something about it as opposed to just let it happen and then later be like oh i wish i would have said something right like now you're like no we got to stop this right now and it's cool to see that mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah they definitely have the courage to do it and i told them like uh, you know you don't understand like how much impact you made and you know, and I, we just cemented why young people should be at forefront. Every movement in this, as long as I can remember, and if you his research that it's always been sparked and led by young people. It's never been, you know, older people that ever did that. It was always young people being supported by older, you know, community people who are established in the system. Because they're not part of, they're not well yet entrenched in that system, they 
see themselves differently. They see the injustice. They see the things that are wrong. That, you know that needs to be addressed. People in this part of the system are the one who are cautious and say, like, including myself, part of the system, they they're more cautious. about like, if I say this tomorrow, I show up at work. What is that? What is that can do with my relations with others? You know, and uh, yeah, you have that. Uh, but in the end of the day, that if somebody's losing their life over, you know, systemic injustice, then we all should think about that because you know. Okay, that's somebody else, like somebody's family, somebody's you know, children, and all this. So, like, reality is, I just need to bring it down to the reality, and that's the core. And that's that's one thing about that, you know, the media is what has been doing. Like, people taking, uh, going back to your notes of like people looking at uh, cameras and recording. It's because people's voices so many times that nothing has been done, so they now move to, you know, recording things which is also itself creating a problem, but at the same time, there is no other way to document this because the police mm-hmm. will turn off their body camera or will not wear their body camera. You know, uh, people will just keep looking and there was no way to document. So there's no way to prosecute. There's no way to get justice of these things. So I think that these young people are taking actions into their hands. People realize that there's a way to, to hold people accountable. And I think that's gonna be a skill set that's gonna benefit them long-term. Very well said. Yeah, exactly. Everyone has the ability to now be the media because you have your phone in your pocket and you can film something and be like, hey, this is not right. Like everyone look at this craziness. Like we got to stop this. And it's it's interesting to see how that's evolved over the last maybe five, 10 years. But that speaks to holy crap. This has probably been happening for the last hundreds of years to oppressed groups and we're only now starting to do something about it like it's very difficult for people to admit that and it's hard to like be optimistic that it's it's been happening for so long like we you know it's like what the hell what are we supposed to do here are you optimistic at all that that we are moving in the right direction fast enough like it's been hundreds of years of oppression like how how the heck is this still happening you know like why why can't we get it right are you optimistic? Though? Yeah, like, I am optimistic. Yeah, yeah definitely. I, I am. I am optimistic because I just witnessed that, you know, with young people who mobilized and created history. Not just because, you know, this is the biggest rally in Winnipeg, but the way they did it, you know, it's all about the process, you know, like really they engaged the community, made it clear, you know, now they're starting to develop themselves as leaders, you know, they can go back to the drawing table and do these things. But I am optimistic because it, it proved the point of like why people should do that. Now, what needs to happen is this: is the same shift needs to happen in systems. Mm-hmm. Systems are the ones that take slow, and because there's people that are benefiting from being in those positions and keeping things the same way, and that's the reality, and that's the truth. There are people that benefit from this injustice that want the system to remain the same. They say, yes, we hear you, but really, you got to go through the hoops and everything, and that's where we need the endurance. We need mm. people who are going to be part of the system who are never going to forget why this injustice happened and who are going to dedicate their positions, their role, their life calling to changing that because it's not about them. You know, it's about others, millions of others who if that one person dedicated themselves, you know, uh, so like one of my uh, people that I really admire is uh, Thurgood Marshall. And, you know, he in the States during the civil rights movement, He's a lawyer. He's, I was reading about, you know, the things that he've done, like where he would go in the country, segregated, and he experienced all these things. But he kept going because he understood the, the ability that he has and the position that he's in and, and the tool that he has, which is law, to be able to do this. And now, you know, decades later after he's gone, people can now, you know, 
celebrate him. But at, at that moment, he was risking his life every day, you know, mm-hmm. but the cause, and that's one person who was pushing with the tool that he has and this and the position that he's in to be able to make a change, you know, and I think that we need to think about ourselves like that as agent of change is like, we can do something, even if it's one thing that the momentum, somebody else can come build on that, you know, and mm-hmm. you never know where the impact of that would happen, you know, so For I sure. believe that I'm optimistic about that. It's generational too. Like, like you said, it's not going to be next week, the problems are solved. It's going to take years of people going into the system changing the system and remembering the injustice and why the system is how it is. Right. Like, but a big part of that is education, I think too, right? Like we need to educate people on the origins of a lot of these systems, why they were put in place in the first place. And then people can start questioning, Oh, why, well, why do we still do it this way? Like we can, we, we should be doing it a different way because this old system doesn't work anymore. It, It was built for, you know, in some cases built to literally oppress certain groups of people. Right. So how important is education and just getting people to learn about the history of Canada and the States and North America. And then from that point, once you're educated, then we can, okay, now that we know how things work, we need to change how things work. So just speak about that education aspect and how important it is. That is so important. I believe education has two components is learning and then applying, you know, Mm. so people need to learn about exactly the injustice and the systemic oppression that is happening. That is the key issue here is not because these things are not happening because individuals chose to do that. The individuals chose to do that because they understood the system. You know, they understood that, you know, there's impunity against them because of their position and their role in the society. You know, they understood the system. There's a good chance that they were gonna get away with it because of how things work. So if you had to educate people about the system and the process and your role in that justice system or any process, any system, that's the thing is people cannot see themselves in that system and why they need to know about this. Most of the time they won't have commitment to that. So people can see the clarity of like, okay, I'm part of the system. If I'm part of the education system, I'm part of the child welfare system, I'm part of like any other system that is there, you know, what is your role in that to change the system or to, uh, you know, to better the system? And then once you understand that and once you know how they work in that system and your role in that system, then now you can apply the things that you want to do. Now you can apply the things that you would like to change about the system because you maybe want to amend the process. Maybe you wanted to change the way that uh, policies are made. Maybe you want to change the way that things are practiced. Because now you know what it is about. You understood how those processes were made, how they became about, and who was involved in it. And then now your role in it and how you can change that. Now that's when you got to practice it. That's why you got to apply it. And when you apply it, that's when you're going to see the change. And that's when you're going to see the resistance. That's when you're going to see the experience. Mm. That's the process. And I believe, so I think that given this movement and any other way that anybody else out there who wants to do something about it, you got to learn. And then you also got to apply what you learn. You know, people most of the time stop at learning. And, uh, right. you know, and that's why we keep repeating these things, you know, it's because, oh, we learned about it. We heard about it. I know about this. And I know about this other issue. There's so many of these incidents happen. Yes, we all have learned. And, you know, these things were brought to our attention, but, and we went, you know, for a moment really in depth and trying to understand and, you know, got a, an increased knowledge in that area. But what happened after that? We didn't apply that, you know, because it goes back to that personal, you know, positioning and where is your role in it? Like, if you want to understand that, then you won't be able to move or do things about yeah. it. So- yeah, that's so important. And I think that's a great point to point out is that, like, we've ha- we know now. We know. We're educated. We know. Now there's no excuse you can't claim ignorance anymore. 
You know, it's time for action. It's time for applying the knowledge that you've learned instead of just being like, okay, well, maybe I just need to learn a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, that's a very important, you know, apply that knowledge. Apply the knowledge now. Very important. Um, So what, what, what are some tangible things? I know we were talking before a little bit about a petitioning and marching but what are some tangible things that people can do moving forward to to ensure equity for all communities yes uh, that's really important i believe that uh, in terms of like starting with the petition um and i was like i was just saying i was speaking to friends today uh, one of the things that they didn't want to sign the petition because there was one point that they didn't agree with mm-hmm. but all the other points they agreed with and i said like look i signed the petition even though there were some points i didn't agree with the purpose of that is that for people to commit to that. And you can always have a plan and you can modify it after because the road to that process is not straight. Everybody knows there's no plan. I don't know anybody that ever made a plan and it worked out 100%. Yeah. There was something that you had to change you know, at some point. So why don't we look at this as a process of, okay, yes, this is that, but if there are things that are gonna be modified, first what you need to do is get it. People don't buy into that vision and don't buy into the why then you know, you're not gonna get the mobilization. So first, people need to understand that. And once you understand that, then you can change those things later. You can say, okay, I don't agree with this point. Let's have a dialogue, let's try mm-hmm. to change this. So that's, I would say that's uh, part of that. And in terms of tangible actions, everybody needs to look at their role and where they're at. You need to take small steps. If you have to speak up about certain things, then you need to do that. If you need to go learn more about the systemic injustice and the system that you're in, and how you can change. If you're a decision maker or you're an influencer or you have a way, you know, you're in a position or a platform like yours to be able to do and like something like you're doing right now is having me on this show. If you have that, then you're helping, you know, because what you're doing is elevating those voices and you're giving a platform to those individuals who are most affected to be the one who are saying things coming from them, you know, to be the one who are doing those things. So every person that came to that rally, I'm sure that their network and their position, the reason they're in, they have an opportunity to do exactly what the reason why they came there to protest, you know, and to show their support. That was one way, but now they really, the real work needs to go back to where they came from and them because their networks are totally different. You know, their, their networks, I'm sure that not some of the people are not going to support that. That's where the work needs to happen. And that's where they need to go back and be like, Oh, you know, that was a that rally. And this is why. And, the more these things come up, the more that they should be able to do that. And that's where really the test is going to come. It's about the long-term, you know, endurance of how people are going to, are people really going to say this over and over? Are people really going to do this over and over? You know, and that's the question. If you are willing and you are committed to do that in every area and, you know, when the opportunity presents itself, then I think that we will see the tangible changes and that's when we're going to start seeing, okay, I can do this one thing, but that one thing, you never know that it might change the whole system, you know, and it, it won't happen unless you do it. Yeah, yeah it all starts with those. Uh, you've used that word a couple times, endurance. Endurance. This is not a sprint. <laughs> you know, this is going to be a marathon. It's going to be years and years, and you have to stay vigilant and stay on top of things and make sure we hold people accountable that haven't been held accountable, you know, for years. And it's going to be it's going to be an endurance race. It's not, a, it's not a sprint. That's very well said. So at the end of our time together, I ask the same seven questions of all my guests. I, we call it the just because segment where, you know, we ask some things about your causes and some things about your, your past. Are you okay to answer those questions for us? Definitely. Okay, great. 
Okay, sweet. So question one, what's the very first cause you even remember caring about? Uh, uh, I would say here in Winnipeg, my very first cause that I ever uh, been involved in was uh, save the elm trees. Oh, yeah. So I'm still like huge, like I love, you know, I love being outside and being, you know, I'm kind of like an outdoor person. Uh, and I, uh, yeah, I love trees. I grew up with, with my grandma about like gardening and like, you know, self-sufficient. So I'm very like connected to the earth and like why. So when I, I, one of my friends, one of these days, he just came out of nowhere and he was like, hey, you know, let's do this thing where you go out and you do petitions, you get people to sign these petitions. So we need to put these rooms around the trees, elm trees. There's this bugs that are killing the trees and I didn't really understand it, but I understood like I love trees and I wanted mm -hmm. to make sure and I never, never have heard about this thing, but I, uh, it was really huge. Like when I really learned about it later, like this thing actually been going around for a long time. So that was my first cause that I ever cared about. I still do care about it, you know, and uh, so that really, and I got a chance to go out there, map out the areas that I'm going in and knocking on doors and telling people why they should help. And, you know, and then going back. So I literally like did that the whole summer. I just went out and spent like three, four hours every day just doing that. And then being in, it took me to different areas that I've never been. Like I was living in the North and, and these things were happening in like Wolseley, Tuxedo areas that I never like, you know, been in a part of. And I was just like meeting different people and, and they were just like, oh, good job. And I was like, okay, thank you. Cool. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, wicked. So you've always been kind of a, you know, organizer, advocate. You've always been out in the community trying to make the world a better place. That's that's why I like you so much is because you apply your knowledge. You learn about something and then you apply it. You get out there and try to enact change. And the world needs more of you, sir. Definitely. Uh, question, question two. If money, politics, and logistics were no issue at all, you could just snap your fingers, what's the first thing you would do in support of your current cause? Yeah, that's really important. Um, the first thing that I would do is I'll put people in a position of um, decision making. So I would put, you know, those organizers on the police board, for example. Mm. I'll put them, you know, in uh, to be able to come to the courtroom and you know share their ass. But I think they need to be part of like the posi position on police board is really important. Where mm -hmm. they actually talking with. Who the people that hold the police accountable, you know, and mm -hmm. who the police has to report to and have them discussion. The other thing that I would do is I would have them go and, you know, do a social media campaign that are accurate uh, response of like what has happened and why they should, people should continue to do that mm -hmm. with, you know, as many people that can contribute to that. And then the third thing that I would do is that I would ask them, you know, to be part of uh, like the institutions that they're from. Some of them are still in school and universities that they can be able to, you know, have an opportunity to go to their leaders in their schools, you know, like their principals, their, you know, their teachers, their profs, their, you know, dean, and talk to them and say, hey, look, this is what I feel like. What can you do in the systems? Because mm -hmm. I don't feel like comfortable part of this thing. What can you do in that? So I would say having these kind of position, put them in those roles and these, in these areas so they can make a greater systemic changes representation right it's all about we need people to represent their communities on all levels of government on all levels of councils on all levels of boards like representation is so so important and i think yeah that's what you're really nailing there it's all right more than that you know people can see themselves in that role you know like mm. a counselor a city and you know that's somebody that looks like me and he is doing that you know and is realistic i can i can do something like i see it is real if people don't understand how big that is 
you know, actually people being that, knowing someone uh, who was in a different role, like it changes lives. So. For sure. Yeah. Well said. Question three, what's the biggest misunderstanding or the biggest stigma about the cause? Yeah, uh, these guys um, are calling things that aren't real, you know, or this is kind of mm. like in the moment things. And, you know, this goes back to like, they're misunderstood because they think that they're going on the bandwagon or, you know, uh, protesting just like everybody else around. It's not even in Winnipeg. We don't have this problem in Winnipeg. Yes, we do. You know, I used to mm. give examples of two people I personally know that have been killed by the Winnipeg police, like Jesus. It is real. It's just not real to those people. It's well, the denial then, you know, the, because the they don't see that. Yeah. It is. They don't think that we have an issue like that here. It is. It's a systemic oppression and systemic injustice that is happening. So the biggest misunderstanding is that this, this movement is just in response to that. No, actually, this movement is in response to the things that have already been going on here. You know, it just was cemented and pivoted by a black man that lost their life through that. And we had people finally found out like, to raise that, to bring it home, you know, and say this. in Canada, of course, Canada is still happening. But anyways, I think that's the, the biggest thing is that it's the, the purpose of that is, is foreign. It belongs to another community that is not Winnipeg. We adopted this movement, I think, you know, no, it's gotcha. not, you know, yeah. they, people are from Winnipeg. They were born from here. They're from here. So. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so question four, what's a time in your life where you had to pivot because a plan just didn't work out? So plan A, you're like, all right, we're going to do this. We were talking about it before about the, the uh, signing the petition. It's like, that's the plan. But when, when's the time in your life where you had to pivot because plan A just wasn't working out? Yeah, that's definitely a good one. I think that the first time, yeah, the most important part, uh, I remember deciding to go to college and, um, you know, I was like working and had a young family and everything. But then uh, I was like, man, I don't know, you know, should I just keep doing I wasn't really sure if I want to go to university and everything. But uh, I would say once that happened, because uh, I was like set on one path and I was just like, man, this is working out, I don't think. And then just... Uh, something happened that just made me think like, you know what, if I don't do this now, I'm never going to get that opportunity anymore. So I just mm -hmm. decided to just change my whole approach and, and commit to that. And that literally changed my life. Like I ended up doing a practicum that person hired me and became one of my mentors and just started my career in a nonprofit and started my career in community organization that to this day, I'm very grateful because of that one shift movement of just like, I just decided one day I was like, you know what, I'm going to leave. And I just remember leaving that and the person that I was working with and everything. And they're like, really? Why do you want to do this? You know, like you're, you're doing okay here. You have all these things. And I was like, no, nah, I think if I became complacent and comfortable in this, I don't know. You know, mm. it's not long-term and I yeah. want something different. So it's crazy how I had one to make that decision and everything. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy how one decision can cascade and lead to the next and the next and the next that, you know, like that one decision, okay, I'm going to do this. And then, it just branches off into a thousand different people that you've met and a thousand different like experiences you've had all from that one decision. I love thinking about things like that. Yeah. I encourage people. Yeah. You know what? It's hard, but just do it. Like, you know, once you do it, you never know like how things would be, but you're not going to be in the position that you want, but yeah, encourage you for sure. Just make it beautiful. Uh, question five, what's the best advice that you've ever been given? Hmm. Uh, the best advice. Uh, I learned this from my grandma that she's, uh, she told me that uh, I just got to do things 
even when I don't see them. Cause I, so I'll just briefly say why. Uh, so when I, this is one of the living examples that I ever remember. I've talked so many things, but this is like the prime one. So uh, back home in South Sudan where I grew up, it was very hot. And she, I remember her telling me to make this grapevine. So we had to make like the shape of the, of the vine, of like the trees and to do these things. And I couldn't see that. I was just like, we're putting these stakes together and they were just empty. There was nothing in there between them. And she, she knew it was it's going to get hot and that when we have the grapevines and everything that we'll have shade and everything. But I couldn't see that. And she was just like, just work at it. So we worked through the whole hot air and like all these things and made that. And I could tell you when, they, when that, all those grapes really came after, I was so grateful that we went to that because we were grapes to eat and it was shade that was there. But to this day, I just remember that her wife saying that just do it even though you don't see it, you know? And mm. that's really, I've been like one of my biggest thing in life is that I apply my effort into things even though I don't see it. And most of the time it works out later on and that's when I really gain the benefit is but, um, but it's really hard to, to go through things when you don't see why, especially when we're in a, a reactionary world where you need to see uh, immediate results and things like that. And so I felt like uh, whenever I'm in doubt, I just go back to that you know advice and say okay i should just probably do this even if i don't see it and um i would say like 99 percent of the time almost 100 of the time remember the grapevine the great the grapes will grow eventually if you put in the work the great grapes will grow. yeah, yeah that's, that's a great, great story, story. I love that. beautiful uh question six what advice would you give your 10 year old self if you could talk to him right now and just say you, you had one minute to talk to your 10 year old self what would you what would you say well, my 10-year-old self uh, was a nerd and thought like, uh, you know, nobody liked me and everything. So I, I would say, you know, just keep doing you. Uh, you you'll, you'll turn out fine. <laughs> you know, I think that's, that was my biggest worry. I was like, I'm not making friends or like the people that I had. Because I was like always like immersing myself in reading because I didn't want to be involved in all these other things. So I was just like, I used to go to buy comics, books and like all these other things. And kids my age were like, playing outside, you know, and doing sports. And I would play like sometimes, but I was, that's not really where I wanted to spend most of my energy. I was like trying to read and like learn about stuff. So uh, I was kind of like an outcast because I didn't really social and all that. But so uh, I would say, yeah, just what you're doing right now is gonna help you long-term, you know, and don't worry about it. That's good advice. Just be yourself, it'll all work out. Yeah. Be yourself, yeah. Uh, so last question, Mandela, thank you for doing this. It's an honor to have you on the show and talk to you and get to know you a little bit more. Um, last question is, what do you want to be remembered for? I want to be remembered as somebody who uh, gave it the best and, you know, and also leave something behind that people can experience and die for their self. You know, like a roadmap of an experience of somebody like, okay, he, he's done this and that, or, you know, uh, there's an impact of his work in the community. I would, I would want to see that because uh, I believe that when people, you know, look up people or like look into models, this is why real life role models are really important. Somebody who looks like you in your community are there because you can actually see that person in real life doing those things, you know, and, and, and when you go and find out about them, you can relate to them because sometimes when you come from our communities and we don't see ourselves in those roles, it's so far away, it's so far removed. But when you see someone who's doing that, and I really started believing in that and we're like modeling and doing these things. So if you give it your best, you never know who else is watching you. And this is one thing, another thing that my grandma told me is like, mm -hmm. you never know who's watching you. And those people who are watching you, you know, are learning from you. 
though you should be able to do everything you can. So I want to make sure you know that I gave it all my best. Well, you are a great role model. I'm glad to know you. You're making the world a better place. Your grandma would be very proud of you because you're a good man. Thank you for being on the podcast, sir. And thank you for teaching us. And thank you for, you know, all your wisdom. And it's all about application, right? Uh, is there is there anything else that uh, you want to say? Or, or how can people get out and help the cause? Uh, first, I want to say thank you so much, uh, Nolan, for appreciating you for being on this platform and sharing this, uh, my stories and my feedback and, you know, my everything, my experience that I had. Thank you so much for that. I'm so grateful to be part of this. Uh, for me, I think the last thing that I would say is, yeah, it's about application. Like, whatever you reason why you came out that day or watch it on the news, you know, what do you think you can do about it? And if you did come up with something, just apply it right away. And because the moment you question it, then you're gonna create doubt, and doubt is not good in terms. Doubt and actions don't go together, you know. So, mm-hmm. you gotta do one or the other. You gotta either doubt yourself or you gotta take actions. So apply. And if you want to learn, like I was saying, like learning has to, uh, education has to component. Learn and then apply it. So go find out somebody, learn from somebody, reach out to them. And in terms of the movement, I would really say that really invest in those young people. Look at the reason why they came together, and look at the reason why all these people came out together to do that and to listen to them. And if you don't agree with them, you know, you still have a responsibility to support, shape their way to process because dialogue is a two-way thing. There's one side and then there's another side. So it can't happen without you, you know, and you need to be able to be part of that. Then people cannot always agree, but they can always discuss things. So beautiful. I would say, yeah. Beautifully said, Mandel Kouet, community organizer and advocate here in Winnipeg. Keep on doing what you're doing because we love what you're doing. And we'll, we'll talk to you again sometime soon, I'm sure. Thanks, man. Thank you again, Mandela, for the conversation today. Uh, I've been reflecting on it. And what really resonated with me after our talk was, you know, the endurance point and that this is not going to be a sprint. It's going to be a marathon and uh, change is not going to happen overnight. And there are some deeply embedded systems that are at the core of a lot of how society operates on a day to day basis. And we all agree that we need to undo the damage of the past and reverse the way that things are going. But it's going to take some time. But I think what he said, you know, that time is now there we've we've gone through the education process and it's time for application no more learning it's time for action so again thank you mandela for the conversation it was wonderful to speak with you learn a little bit more about your causes and just to get to know you a bit better Um, if you enjoyed the show share it with a friend if you think someone could benefit from hearing mandela's story or any of our previous interviews send it out you know i personally love getting podcast recommendations from friends and family that's really the only way nowadays that I, uh, I I try out new things. If someone says, hey, you got to watch this show or you got to watch this podcast or listen to this podcast. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for sharing the podcast and helping us grow and, and get more uh, earballs listening. All music on the Because and Effect podcast is written and composed by Trenton Burton. You can hear more of his music at trentonburton.com. Because and Effect is a podcast from the Winnipeg Foundation. You can learn more about what the foundation is up to at their website, wpgfdn.org, or by searching at wpgfdn on all social media accounts. I'm Nolan Bicknell signing off. You can find me at Nolan Bicknell everywhere you look. And uh, remember, progress is impossible without change. And those who cannot change their minds cannot change anything. Bye-bye.